0: Good morning. Thank you for gathering with us. We are glad that you are here. We gather every Sunday morning in person at 10.30 a.m. for our main gathering, and then we meet throughout the week in small groups. And you can email groups at faithonhill.com if you'd like more information. We have blogs and uh, recordings of previous online services plus podcast content on our website, faithonhill.com. You can also give uh, as part of your act of worship at faithonhill.com and you just go to the Giving tab. If you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our study this morning. I don't know when or where you are joining us. Uh, I know that most of our audio listeners on the podcast join us later in the week, but I'm recording this on Thursday, and last night, of course, Russia declared war on the Ukraine, and we continue to pray for the peace of our world. Um, I'm hearing stories about... um, churches and uh, brothers and sisters that we as a church and as a family of churches in the Pacific Conference are connected with. Um, our sister church in, up in Seattle, uh, his, the pastor's wife is from the Ukraine and she has family there. They're trying to get out, so we're praying for them. And then uh, last night I was watching CNN and as they were doing their report, the, the camera panned down and there were Christians just in the public square on their knees crying out to God. And we want to remember them in our prayers and trust them to the protection of our Father in heaven. Now if you would, let's join together and worshiping God through the study of His Word this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Jesus is speaking to the crowd. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first of five major teachings or discourses of Jesus in Matthew's gospel account. And he begins by saying to them, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank? in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet. And turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's Word, and we're gonna dive into what's going on here. But remember, this is not a disconnected teaching, this is part of one larger teaching. Starts in chapter 5, it ends here in chapter 7. And Jesus began to teach, and he said, these are the beatitudes, the supreme blessings. This is the way to live in the supreme blessings of God. And then he walks through how if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven and live in those blessings, your righteousness has to surpass that of even the most righteous person, and since we can't, That's why we need Jesus. And then he goes into a a teaching about, okay, how do you live righteously without living in hypocrisy, which he'll speak to again here this morning. So when he says, judge not, it's after this section on not living uh, your righteousness publicly in a way that's there to bring glory to yourself or in hypocrisy. He says this about not storing up your treasures in heaven. And couldn't you see that being a temptation towards judgment? Let's say that you live a life like we talked about last week with eternal investments, and you live a life that is dedicated to building treasure in the kingdom of heaven. And then you see somebody doing something that you think that they shouldn't, or that you think, oh, they're investing in earthly things, or that you look down on as lesser than how you've lived. Wouldn't that be a temptation to judgment? So I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus begins his teaching on judgment right after this previous section. He says, judge not, or you will be judged. I said this the other week, that this is the most well-known or most quoted verse in the Bible. And and the reason is is that I have found that almost every unchurched person I know, and we live in a post-Christian culture, and we are not just on like a generation that like their parents were in the church and then they left, we are in a largely unchurched culture where the kids that go to school with my kids, their parents and their grandparents were unchurched. The kids going to school with my kids might be third or fourth generation unchurched people. They have no connection to it, but they all seem to know that verse. Hey man, it's in the Bible. Don't judge me. And then I I joked, but it's also true that they always seem, if they know another verse, it always seems to be from the book of Genesis that God looked and saw every herb of the field was good. And they go, see, man, it's God's okay with 420. Judge not, and that's what they quote, but that's not the whole verse. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. I read a quote this last week that I think is applicable to our text this morning. It's from a pastor named Char Broderson, and he said this, we have a biblically illiterate culture using the Bible to critique a biblically illiterate church. I'm going to read that again. We have a biblically illiterate culture using the Bible to critique a biblically illiterate church. So what happens is what he's saying, and I think it's here in this verse, is people take a verse and they say, oh, it's in the Bible, don't judge. And since they don't know the Bible themselves, remember they're post Christian, Or at this point, we're so far gone, we might as well say a pre-Christian culture, uh, no real literacy of the Scripture, no real awareness of the Word of God. I mean, when my great-grandmother, uh, who was born so long ago that she was born in the Oklahoma Territory before it was a state, you know, many, and in fact, most kids her generation were taught to read by reading the Bible. But that's not the case anymore. You're not taught to read by reading the Bible, so you don't have that familiarity that our culture used to have. So they, being biblically illiterate, take this verse that they don't really understand or they don't have the context for or they don't even have the full verse for, and then they use it to critique a biblically illiterate church. And so they say, you Christians, you're just judging people all the time. And the church goes, oh yeah, that's bad. We shouldn't judge anyone. So if somebody's doing something wrong, we go, yeah, we shouldn't say anything about that. Who are we to judge? But that's not... Why Jesus says this 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 saying, this teaching. It's not, hey, don't judge anybody ever. He says, judge not, and or is the key word here. Or is the key word, judge not, or you too will be judged. So the point of the verse is not do not judge. It's here is what happens if you are a judgmental person. That's the point of the verse. It's not saying, hey, if you see something wrong, call it wrong. He's not saying, hey, don't do that. Every, you know, just let everybody figure out their own thing. He's saying, if you are a judgmental person, you will be judged. That is what Jesus is getting at. Verse 2, for in the same way that you judge others, you too will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured out to you. If you're the type of person that is always critical always lacking mercy, always bringing judgment on others. When something happens, then you step out of line. Don't expect grace. Don't expect mercy. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying just like, this is the way the world works. And so if a church or a Christian is unloving, if a church or a Christian is devoid of grace or mercy, and then their time comes where they need grace or mercy, Good luck with that. So, the point of this verse is is about, like, yes, live in the supreme blessings of God. Yes, practice the righteous living that is the mark of following Jesus. Yes, do these things. Store up treasures in heaven. But don't think that in doing so, you are better than anyone else. Don't think that in doing so, you can stand in a sort of elevated position and look down on someone else. Why is that? Well, he says an example. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I, I don't know how many times I have seen a preacher, they're usually from somewhere in the south, and, they're, you know, somebody sends, posts a YouTube video or something on social media, and there's this preacher, and they're, oh, the, the evils of this or that, and they're bemoaning the evils of something that they think is going on. But then you see that they have just lived you know, a life of indulgence and gluttony, and they're one <laughs> they're ham hock away from eternity, and, and this whole thing's going on. It's like, can you imagine how people treat their bodies by smoking cigarettes? And I'm like, I don't know, but I know how you've treated your bodies by ham sandwiches, and and I'm a, I'm a chubby kid, so I can say this, right? Like, I'm not some skinny kid who's, who's calling you out. I'm saying, hey, I'm somebody who's got to work on my health and have been working on my health, and what are you going to say to somebody who's smoking? Like, smoking's bad for you. Like, everybody knows that. It causes cancer, emphysema, all these things. There's no good, it's not good for your heart, it's not good for your lungs. That's all, everybody knows that. But I could sit there and go, I don't smoke ever. And then you go, well, wait a minute, you know. So I, I've, seen some, I've seen some church potlucks where I feel like, you know, it would be better maybe if you just smoked a cigarette instead of eating all of that, you know, processed food and the whole thing. What Jesus is getting at is he's saying, there are religious people who go around and they look down on everyone else. And you're going to see this through the gospel. As Jesus does his ministry, people go around and they say, can you believe that Jesus did this? Can you believe that Jesus did that? They, they brought a man who was crippled to him on the Sabbath day, and they waited to see if he would heal him because they knew that Jesus cared about people. And so they're like, oh, we'll get him because he He'll heal this guy, but he'll do it on the day of rest, and then we'll get him. Because they cared more about keeping a religious observance than about somebody's healing, somebody's life change. If the church wants to be biblically faithful, and if we want to stand for God's truth, and these are all sort of maxims or battle cries that you hear from different corners of the church, if we want to do those things, if we want to stand for righteousness, if we want to uh, you know, stand for what's true and right and all these things, then we need to start with ourselves, right? We need to start with ourselves. And I could start listing the names of well-known ministries and leaders and preachers who in the last year alone have fallen into sin and, and have, have ended their ability to hold the positions that they've held. And I don't say that to be judgmental towards them. I mean, that's why I'm not name-checking anybody. I'm not calling anyone out uh, for the purposes of saying, like, oh, look at them. But What I'm saying is, is that we can look around and we can say, do you see what's going on in Hollywood? Do you see what's going on in Washington, D.C.? Do you, um, do you see what's going on here or there? And we'll call out the parts of the culture or the society that we see as doing wrong or as compromised or doing evil, Instead of looking at our own selves and saying, "Lord within me, show me where I need your grace and your mercy. I can stand for truth within myself. I can stand for what's right. I can be biblically faithful on my own. But if I am walking around pointing out every little thing, and everybody's going, "Yeah, I, yeah, we get it, but you know, hey, it's, it's, it's kind of like, hey, you've got a scratch there. Oh, you better put a Band-Aid on that scrape. Oh, paper cut, got to watch out. And somebody's looking around going, man, your, you, your arm is caught off. Uh, you know, uh, uh, one of my friends sent me a, a link I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, he sent me a link where the, the headline of the news story said, local police find man walking through downtown holding his own severed arm. Um, and I mentioned that in the, the verse where Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. But it's like, imagine that guy. And he cut, the story was that he cut his arm off in a bandsaw accident. And then um, he was like in this warehouse uh, industrial thing downtown. And he's just kind of just walking around in sort of this shock-induced daze looking for help, right? But imagine if instead of saying, help me, he, he came and, and somebody came to help him. And he said, oh man, you know, you didn't brush your teeth good enough today. What? Your arm is cut off. That's what Jesus is getting at. Is he saying you, you, know this? Religious people will point out the tiniest speck of sawdust in somebody's eye, but they've got a massive piece of wood sticking out of their eye, and uh, and it's like they they don't even want to acknowledge that. But then what does Jesus say? He says. Uh, he says, verse five. You hypocrites. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what Jesus is teaching is we got to deal with ourselves first. But then, once we are cleansed, we can then, from a position of strength, call others to the goodness of God. Right now, we, I mean, you just have to recognize that, there, that it is hard to say I am a Bible-believing Christian in our culture, because they look at our culture. And as I said a minute ago, a lot of it is biblical illiteracy, and so they're judging us against a false standard, but some of it is legitimate perception. And they look at the church, and they say, wait a minute, what do you, what's your deal there? Can I give you a real-world example? We had a vote, something we talked about, uh, Last fall, we had a vote, and our denomination is working through this process of, of uh, figuring out whether to ordain women uh, as pastors or not. Um, and if you want to know how I voted, or, or I should say I voted yes for it, but you sh- if you want to know why I did, I, I'd be happy to talk with anybody about that. But I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was saying, look, how could you do that? And he was giving me all these biblical reasons why. And I was talking to him, and I said, here's the thing. I agree with a lot of what you're saying biblically, but I also know that the bigger issue has been how we have poorly treated women and living in misogyny and even with, let's say that you're 100% right and that 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 is the case. Which is worse, that we ordain women because of one or two parts of the Bible or that we live in misogyny towards our sisters in Christ? I'm going to say it's the misogyny that's worse. And if we could deal with that, if we could find a way to, to serve for men to serve alongside women in a way that makes women feel empowered and equal image bearers before God and that they are respected and safe, if we can do all that, then I want to talk to you about those verses because you know we can work through that. But to me, what you're dealing with is sawdust, and there's a log, there's a giant piece of wood. And I think sometimes we think of a log like a nice, trim circular log. But imagine a rough, jagged piece of wood that is shoved through someone's eye. I want to deal with that first, you know. I want to look and say, like, what is going on? What's the real issue in our community and, and you can walk around and you can say, like, I'm really concerned about all of the violence in video games. You know what? I, I would prefer that some of the violence in video games maybe n- not be available to children or toned down. We can have that conversation. But is that the real issue? Is that the thing to really be concerned about? I'm concerned that the church is compromising because they're l- doing modern music in church. Oh, my goodness. That's the thing you're worried about? That's the thing that's concerning you? We're destroying ourselves out there you know the, the 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 suicide rate among youth in our community the attempted suicide rate among youth in our community let alone the adults is astronomical that's the thing that we should be worried about or are we worried about you know video games i mean i think there's systemic issues that go on there so i, I understand this is nuanced and i'm not here to preach about video games but the point i'm getting at is we could worry about all of these things and say that's the thing go really is that it or is it a lack of love. Seen from churches that were infighting with each other, that were bickering with each other. You know, um, I was talking to one pastor uh, yesterday who said that you know he was he knows of a church where the pastor tragically died in a boating accident, and and within a few weeks, this church that had been so unified and loving to each other, all of a sudden was just fighting and fighting and fighting with each other. I know of a church in the Portland area where the pastor had to quit because the church was so split down the middle, 50-50, politics, masks, all of these things. He said, I I can't pastor both sides. i got to pick a side, and I don't want to pick a side, so I'm going to move on. That's the real issue. It's not getting the church, we'll, we'll galvanize the church to vote and be a political force for good. I'd rather see the church not vote and be unified with each other in Christ. That's my opinion. Jesus is calling us, hey, he's not saying don't make a judgment call because once the, the the plank is removed from your eye, he says go and remove the speck. Once we can live in a place that we have been cleansed by God, we have been cleansed from our unrighteousness, we've been cleansed from our bitterness, we've been cleansed from our uh, bigotry or our selfishness or our pride or our immorality, once we've been cleansed, then we can go and do God's work of removing and helping to others to see the goodness of God. But it starts with our own cleansing. And then finally, Jesus says another fairly well-known verse, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. And my grandma, my great-grandma, my parents, you'd hear this in movies, don't cast your pearls before swine. And it's this saying that you hear, it's this kind of old-timey saying, you hear people say, most people who say it don't even necessarily realize it's from the Bible but what jesus is saying is if you have a treasure if you have something valuable why would you just throw it in the pig pen where the pigs are going to trample over it in the muck or they might eat it or they'll just destroy it if you have something valuable and precious if you're holding the mona lisa and then you see a pack of of street dogs why would you throw why would you throw that picture to them we shouldn't be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians. This idea that used to be in the church that you behave first, and then you can belong with us, and then hopefully you believe. And that was the paradigm in many churches for a long time, and still is in some churches. That needs to be replaced with, hey, you're, you're welcome here, you're safe here, you can belong here, and we're inviting you to believe in Jesus. And as we place our faith in Jesus, then we are changed. As we give and surrender our lives to Jesus, he cleanses us. As if we give and surrender our lives to Jesus and say, Lord, whatever you want, he replaces our wickedness with his righteousness. And so the paradigm that Jesus is talking about is like, hey, why are you trying to make a non-Christian act like a Christian? Why are you mad because that person over there is living a life of unrighteousness when they have not surrendered their life to Jesus? The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter eight that the mind that is set on the flesh cannot please God. So our minds need to be changed so that we are focused on the new life of Jesus through the Spirit. We're just setting people up to fail. We set up kids who grow up in the church to fail because here's these ways that you can behave and you can look like you you belong here and all these things, but inside they don't really believe and then they become 18 and we go, why did they leave the faith? Because we just showed them how to like fake it. There is an invitation for our own cleansing. Jesus, I need you to cleanse me. Because there are people in the world around us who are blinded. There's debris and dirt and filth in their eyes and in their lives and it needs to be cleared so they can see Jesus for who he is. I can't do it if I've got this big, jagged piece of wood sticking out of my eye and it's blood everywhere and it's gross and and nobody's going to listen. So when Jesus says, hey, don't judge. It's not because we aren't going to say this is right or this is wrong. It's because we want to bring people to the goodness of God. And we want to do so from a position of strength so that people will hear us instead of being put off by us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would affirm in our hearts your truth, that you would cleanse us by your spirit, that you would prepare us so that we could serve you. Lord, remove the filth from your church so that we could be a church of power. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you this week in the small groups, on podcasts, and next Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m.